seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard. First published in 1999, Disco Bloodbath is the salacious memoir of New York club kid James St. James. In March of 1996, James's friend, Michael Alleg, murdered fellow club kid and drug dealer Andre Melendez, dismembered the body, and then bragged to everyone in the scene about the crime he just committed. Michael Alleg eventually went to prison, while James's book was later adapted as the film Party Monster, starring Macaulay Culkin as Michael Alleg and Seth Green as James St. James. Now, while that infamous murder plays a central role in James's narrative, the book is more than just a chilling tale of true crime. It is a breathtakingly funny and strange recounting of a city, a scene, and the drug, Special K, that scene revolved around. In fact, Special K is so important to the story, James begins the book with a foreword describing the chemical makeup of Special K, commonly called ketamine, how to prepare it, and what taking it feels like. And I quote, Special K. It's a clean-smelling trip up the nose. You wait 20 seconds. Then, there is the roar of a jet engine. So you lie back and wait a while longer. Close your eyes and it's a whole new world. There's a lot of unfolding. Everything just slides away, like many curtains opening at once. And your muscles hallucinate. They feel lifted upward, quickly, so your stomach drops. Nothing can prepare you for that up, up, up feeling when you're on the ceiling and the ceiling keeps getting higher. You are born upon a wave and pushed upward and forward, and then eyes open. But they've been open. You're in the K-hole now. While Special K achieved its infamy in the 90s rave scene, it's been around since 1962. It became the drug of choice for psychedelic researcher John Lilly, the float tank guy who tried communicating with dolphins on LSD, and after he began using ketamine intravenously in the 1970s, Lily lapsed thereafter into addiction and increasingly eccentric theories and behavior. In recent years, ketamine has come back into the limelight, part of the new renaissance of psychedelic-assisted therapy. Studies have shown ketamine can be a powerful tool in alleviating treatment-resistant depression, and a range of ketamine therapies are entering the market from medically supervised IV drips to Silicon Valley startups that will send you ketamine doses by mail and then ask you to chat with a therapist via text. Our guest today, Josh Milrod, is a Long Island-based creative arts therapist who uses ketamine, along with sound and other therapeutic modalities, in his work with clients. We'll hear about Josh's experience doing this work in a moment, but before we get into that, I want to offer a few wizardly disclaimers about drugs in general and ketamine in particular. Magic and drugs go back a long way. Today, as both are entering a mainstream culture with a voracious appetite for novelty and peak experiences, there is an attitude I encounter frequently 
that presumes that mystical insight and occult powers are best achieved by having wild drug experiences. For many, the wilder and more exotic the drug, the more profound the quote-unquote healing they're sure they'll receive. But based on my own experience and what I've observed in others, chasing intense drug experiences often introduces just as much confusion as it does clarity, if not more so. And without proper intentions, which is the key ingredient in all magic, the end result is far more muddled than mystical. Furthermore, ketamine is a serious drug. It can impair motor function, which can result in dangerous falls. It can be laced with fentanyl and has killed friends of people I know. In this episode, Josh and I debate the difference and validity of using ketamine in therapeutic versus recreational context. But in no way are either of us advocating for you to use ketamine or to see ketamine as an important achievement to unlock in your magical practice. People get fixated on ketamine. People get addicted to ketamine. People become really annoying because they care more about dissociating on ketamine than engaging with the people or parties around them. Might I add, I started this intro with a story about a club kid who murdered someone due to their ketamine addiction. So, while I believe ketamine can be a powerful tool for therapy, as well as a tool for magical or psychedelic exploration, it should always be used responsibly and with intention. Fentanyl test strips can be obtained from dancesafe.org. If you're getting ketamine from anywhere other than a ketamine treatment facility, be smart, be safe, and test your fucking drugs. Now, we've all seen movies and cartoons where a powerful wizard gives advice and a foolish hero ignores it. And what happens? Consequences! So please, take my wizardly warning to heart, make good choices, and be smart, as today we do the right thing and talk to a licensed therapist so we can learn how to use ketamine therapeutically. Hey, Josh. Hey. Are you feeling it yet? I'm feeling it. I'm in it. I'm ready. The magic is flowing through our veins. Welcome to Ritual Space. What's our magic word going to be? Notice. Notice. Yeah. Like N-O-T-I-C-E? Yeah. Okay. Like notice. Okay. Got it. I thought it could be some weird archaic word like <laughs> N-O-D-I-S that I've yeah. never heard of. We're getting Gnostic from the beginning. <laughs> right into it. Hard yeah. Gnosticism. Yeah. It's a word I found in a jar in a cave. Yeah. G-N-O-T-I-C-E. <laughs> notice. Got it. Love it. No, just straight up N-O-T-I-C-E. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say mine. I'm going to say mine with a silent G. You can do okay. yours how you want. Listeners, cool, cool, cool. you decide on the count of three. One, two, three. Notice. notice. Ooh, that was in sync. All right. Why notice? Yeah, because it's the first question I ask everyone who works with me. Mm. Because it, it's it's like crazy. I didn't even like really realize this until I got out of grad school and I was like, I know so much about mindfulness. And then I realized I, I never took time to notice what was happening in my body, mm. in my mind, in my world. All I did was act. Yeah. And so, so much of my work with people, whether they're coming to me because they're like a new dad who like has, is totally overwhelmed with having a child or they want to do self-exploratory ketamine work. Mm -hmm. The 
like so much of the work is learning how to notice. Yeah. And learning how to notice what's happening inside you and not act on it and just be with it. And like, whether you're taking care of it, like it's a child who's crying for attention or you're just like seeing like, whoa, my life meter is like really low at the moment. (laughs) I need to like be making some different decisions. I know that like I've succeeded with someone when they start telling me like, hey, like I did that thing. Mm. I noticed this and then I like made a different decision or I noticed this and then I like pushed my feet into the floor and I was okay. Yeah. Well, I think um, there's something similar I do in hypnotherapy where the start of my induction is often just walking people through what they're experiencing in the present moment as a way to sync up. So I'm saying, hey, you're aware of your body in the couch and they're going, oh, yeah. I am like now I do notice that now and that sets a baseline for then later comparing different sensations against, but starting with that basic awareness and then, you know, noticing some of the things that might be considered a distraction, like cars going by in the background now are just part of that experience that then we can move forward from. Yeah. And it's honestly like pretty bonkers. What like a difference that can make in your life, just developing that ability to, be like, ah, this is where I'm at right now. And this is where I hope to get. And here's the gulf between them. Right. And just like being able to caretake for yourself in this really simple way. That's not like you have to sit for 10 minutes and focus in on your breathing or like you have to like do this thing that you can fail at. Yeah. Like it's cool. It's really cool. What it can, what it can do. Well, yeah. I think a lot about magic as, um, paying attention often to the things that we kind of overlook and similar to mindfulness, having that uh, wider perspective, that one step back. So I think people often are feeling anxious rather than noticing their anxiety. And just by that act of noticing your anxiety without trying to get rid of it or expect it to disappear in that moment or anything like that, then you have a perspective which opens up more options rather than just the story loop you're stuck in if i'm feeling anxious and i don't want to be anxious and that's making me feel more anxious and on and on and on and on it goes well and it's also like that act of acceptance like i've had ketamine sessions with people where they're like i can't like i i can't do this Mm -hmm. because it's i'm too afraid and or like i'm too worried about what's going to come or like Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm leaving my body and i'm not ready to To do do that. that yeah and Rather than fight that, rather than tell it to fuck off, like that is a messenger of well-being mm-hmm. that is trying to protect you. And it's just like a little misguided. Yeah. And if we can say like, hey, I hear you. I want the same thing as you. I like want to be safe and yeah. I want to have a really good experience. And right now, by trying to protect me, you're actually pulling me out of that and making it impossible. Yeah. To have that experience. So why don't we compromise? Mm-hmm. And like in like one time that I will always remember, I said to the person like, Hey, like you can just leave your body up here with me Yeah, <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'm going to keep it safe and that you're going to go do what you need to do. And I'm going to be here with your body, keeping it safe. Um, I love this title. It's, it's not my favorite book, but um, there's a Milton Erickson, like the godfather of modern American hypnosis uh, book called, And My Voice Will Go With You. Because that yeah. was one of those lines that he would say, you know, as you drift into dreams and go beyond the here and now, my voice will go with you wherever you are. And I think that's such a beautiful 
sentiment of, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on your body. You can go wherever. <laughs> like, I'll be here waiting with it when you get back. That going with is like the best part of all of this, mm-hmm. I think. Like, and I'm sure you've had you've had this feeling in your work of like somebody come like so, so many people will come to me and be like, I felt like I was just talking to myself last time I I did this with someone else, or I felt like they were like just doing a like a script on me, or like mm. the, or like they were filling out a worksheet in their head, right? And that act, that just like simple kind of selfless act of saying, okay, for like this next hour, I'm putting myself aside and I'm accompanying you Mm -hmm. on, on a journey, wherever that journey goes. And I'm going to feel the, I'm going to feel as much of what you're going through as I can feel. And I'm going to tell you about what I'm feeling as well. And we're going to do this together. So you're not alone anymore. Yeah. I think that comes back to that idea of noticing instead of going, Hmm, the client is not filling in the next part of the Mad Lib, I need to just like trudge forward. Instead, it's like, I notice you seem distracted today. Let's <laughs> let's explore that first before we try and do anything else. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, like chuck whatever script I had out the window and uh, hey, let's talk about you seem really bothered. What's going on right now? Yeah, but that is, if there is a script, that is the script of like... <laughs> Hey, we're in the moment. I noticed this thing and you seem to be noticing it a lot too. So like, yeah, let's be just, with it. Just a piece of paper that says, look at your client and respond accordingly. <laughs> I always joke that I feel like I went to grad school and I learned like all these like interesting things. And I read all these interesting books and I, I met all these interesting people and uh, like, I wrote a big long thesis about empowerment through like digital studio experiences, like in creating music. And then like I got out into the real world and I started like really, really doing the work of sitting with another human being. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, in grad school, the one thing they taught me that I really needed was just how to be with another person. (laughs) They didn't teach me what to do beyond that. Like they thought they were, but really what they did was they taught me how to like, actually be with another person yeah and that's like most of what this is whether somebody's like on ketamine or they're just sitting in my office yeah well let's let's dive in to uh, a little ketamine discussion because i think um that will be the yellow brick road that takes us through all of the other topics we'll explore today um give me just an overview of for someone who's you know never heard of this, yeah. what is ketamine and what is ketamine-assisted therapy? Yeah. So uh, first, I'm, I, I know there was already a disclaimer, but I'm doing another disclaimer. I'm not a medical doctor, and uh, I, I, I'm, I would never suggest someone use ketamine or that uh, the benefits of ketamine are accessible without working with a medical professional and a, and someone who knows what they're doing guiding you through it now i am a wizard and i have different views on this topic but we will respect josh's views and we'll explore some of my counterpoints uh when we get to the emerald city i have a license i need to maintain (laughs) and you will absolutely yeah the the wizard the wizard council is pretty much just me and whoever i invite on so i've I've got a good in with the licensing board for for that all right cool Um, yeah so ketamine is an anesthetic ultimately. Um, And it was developed during the Vietnam War uh, to be used as a field anesthetic. And Mm -hmm. 
what's really special about ketamine among the anesthetics uh, is that it doesn't repress your respiratory function. Right. So you can take it and not have to worry about, I'm going to die because I stopped breathing. Mm -hmm. So ketamine, uh, one of the things that was noticed when they... Uh, when during the initial tests is that in sub-anesthetic doses, it created a powerful psychedelic experience. Yeah. It's very different. So I always explain to people that um, many of the other psychedelics are ex- are expansionary and outward mm-hmm. and connect and they connect you with the world outside of you. Like when you do mushrooms, uh, you feel deep, deep synergy and connection with the trees and the grass and the people around you. Um, And ketamine is, pulls you inward. Mm -hmm. And and, at the doses that my clients are working with, um, if psilocybin and, and LSD lift you out, ketamine, people describe it as falling inward or falling below their body. And it has a dissociative effect that the other psychedelics don't, which is why, like, when people do remote sessions with me, like, their partner or their friend has to, like, be around to help them go to the bathroom. Right. Because, like, you can't get up and walk yourself to the bathroom. Um, Yeah, I think dissociation is a really key word here and one worth sort of underlining and adding some notes to, that it's having an experience that is not anchored in the same way to the here and now. And I yeah. think you're you're very much right that sometimes a psychedelic like mushrooms or LSD can be hyper-awareness of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm watching a ladybug crawl on a blade of grass, and I'm aware of, like, every little detail of what's going on, whereas ketamine or other dissociatives like nitrous oxide, uh, you're kind of having your own inner dreamlike journey, and you're not paying as much attention to the external world, aside from, you know, maybe some inputs like music, or obviously, you know, if like a bus crashed into the side <laughs> of the building, you'd probably stir a little bit. But then there is some decreased motor function where you're not as connected with your body. You're you're a little bit, you know, that's where people talk about the K-hole experience, yeah. where feeling like you're not able to get back into your body and to move your limbs, and there's that deep feeling of heaviness. Uh, so, hence the, hence the reason for a guide, which yes. we'll, I'm sure we're going to get into more. Um, so, I don't know, since like the 80s, maybe earlier? I doubt it, though. Um, there have been a few kind of rogue psychiatrists using it as a therapeutic tool. Well, John Lilly was going hard on it in the in the seventies. Yeah, uh, there was very few. It was like him and Salvador Roquette, and yeah. pretty much everyone doing it back then. Like, had deeply problematic associations because, like, Salvador Roquette was doing all this really interesting psychedelic healing work and like developing a torture program for the government to avoid going to prison. And, <laughs> like, it's not good. Um, yeah, but. It's sort of been in, you know, Manhattan psychiatry offices, psychiatrists have been prescribing it off-label because it's the only psychedelic substance for a very long time that was at all legal. Right. Um, Because it's used as an anesthetic, uh, primary and veterinary clinics and things like that. So it was still available medically. It wasn't a completely forbidden substance. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things that people noticed in using it 
was that it had this pretty profound uh, neuroplastic effect. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's all these studies on animals where it's, I, I feel bad for whoever does these studies and I feel bad for the animals involved where they basically like torture animals until they have PTSD. Um, and then they give them ketamine. And of course they're not like doing a therapy session. You're not saying to like a mouse, like, ah, oh, like, can you follow that light? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what they notice when they look at their brains is before the ketamine, they're, they're the dendrites on their neurons, like the parts mm. of your neurons that make new connections um, have been completely pruned away. So like a normal, healthy brain has dendrites all over the neurons and, and you can make all kinds of new connections in your brain. Um, and a traumatized, depressed, anxious brain is kind of hardwired in, a, mm. in a, a ruminative way that's not helpful. Like you get stuck in, you talked about getting stuck in spirals mm -hmm. and uh, needing to break out of thought patterns yeah. for a person who is like very chronically depressed or anxious or has experienced really severe trauma. You get kind of locked in place. Yeah, I mean, this is very reductive, but I think one way we could describe depression is sort of a repetitive thought loop of, oh, God, I fucking suck so hard. And I need to keep thinking about how hard I fucking suck as a way to solve the problem. It's like yeah. I'm at the bottom of a hole and I have to dig more. And that's the only strategy I can think of to, like, get out of it. Yes. So the reason why ketamine, as like as I think a lot of people know now because of lots of news articles and expensive ketamine clinics... Yeah. The reason why it is such a powerful tool for people who have pretty treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, and, and trauma disorders is it opens your brain back up. And it mm -hmm. also, uh, for some period of time afterwards, it depends on the person, um, but it can be a couple days or a couple weeks or yeah. even a little, even longer if you start stacking doses, you're default mode network which is like where rumination happens you're oh god i fucking suck network yes um <laughs> it shuts off mm. uh and you get a break mm -hmm. and as as a person who I've, i i you know this about me and i'm totally cool talking about it but has experienced some pretty intense trauma mm -hmm. um it uh when i did a session of it I, for like six weeks afterwards, I felt, I was like, where's the anxiety? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and also I was able to, in the actual journey, confront traumatic things that happened to me and completely change my perception of them yeah. to the, like, to the point where like, I actually have it in front of me. I didn't, I didn't stage this. But um, here, I'll show you. This is great. This is a great uh, for a podcast. There's a little post-it note that says, I was lost, but I have returned. Mm. And I wrote that after the session. Love it. Because um, there was something about it that it opened me up in a way that I could really relate to my experiences in a new way. Well, and here's where I want to throw one of my own experiences out there, because I have done plenty of psychedelics, but I find something sort of inherently anxious about them. And <laughs> I 
you know, like really think twice before I take them because I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to this party. This could be really fun. If I take mushrooms, there's a chance that it will be more fun, but there's also a chance that I will feel like weirdly alienated and overwhelmed and kind of anxious and out of sorts and like not really in the right space to be there. And do I want to take that gamble? And I've had that with, you know, most psychedelics and I've had a trauma, traumatic experience from smoking DMT and being like, oh, (laughs) Uh, infinity is traumatizing, actually, (laughs) now that you get up close to it. Um, Sorry, I I don't mean to laugh. You can tell it off. It's funny. I know the feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I I joke about it a lot. I was like, when I was younger, I was afraid of nothingness. But now that I'm older, I'm way more afraid of infinity. Uh, But what I found to be so dramatic the first time I did... um, more than a tiny bit of ketamine in a social situation and kind of went into that dissociative realm was it was quite psychedelic, but there was this wonderful vein of acceptance and confidence. Mm -hmm. Instead of being like, oh no, I'm turning into a fractal. Ah!" It was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a fractal for a bit and that's tight. And then maybe I'll come back to being a human later and that's good. And like, oh, hey, there's a cluster of my neuroses. Let's shoot them with a laser. That felt cool. <laughs> I so my first session, I like literally went into. I, I was pretty psychedelically experienced before yeah. doing my first ketamine session personally, and I had you done ketamine before your first. No, okay, so it was you, complete you, virgin territory. Okay, um, I had like done an extensive amount of training about how to provide people therapy, but ahead of my first session, but you for, hadn't been to a Berlin nightclub. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's like, so, um, ketamine, I actually had a lot of baggage around it because mm. I was, um, I, the only people I knew who did it were like total burnout fuck ups. Yeah. And I, I got clued into the world of ketamine assisted therapy and was always really interested in it. Yeah. And then when it, when it became available to me as a modality, mm-hmm. um, through a really great company called journey clinical, okay. um, who's like my, basically my medical partner. In yeah. It. Um, your dealer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, it's so funny. So I live out, you know, this, I live out on long Island, but the yeah. pharmacy that makes all the ketamine for New York state is like 10 minutes from my house. Nice. Um, it's, it's really weird going there. Um, I like but, imagining that there's like a line, you know, like Monday morning and it's just, you know, people in white lab coats and then like people in, fucking furry bucket hats and jinkos. <laughs> it's an interesting one. So it's in a pretty conservative town on Long Island called Belmore. And, but they are like the place that makes, um, hormone therapy, replace like hormone replacement therapy, yeah. um, hormones, uh, sublingual ketamine and like a couple other pretty progressive, uh, medical interventions. You're ready for a night out in Manhattan in the nineties. <laughs> um, yeah so but i during mine i had this experience of it was like almost like going slideshow by it was a slideshow Mm. of like traumatic things that had happened to me it's like suddenly i'm like oh i'm back on rikers island like being held hostage and then like the scene like shattered and there was like almost like this like glowing thought in front of me that was like that is proof that you can survive Mm. and then it's like okay next one i went over and over and over and over again and by the end of it, like, I just felt so freed. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was such an incredible experience. And I think one of the things that I, I, that made it different for me than some of that nervous psychedelic energy that I felt is the 
the actual medicine itself. Mm-hmm. But I was being, I, w- I had a person there who like her entire purpose was for this three hours to be with me. Yeah. And I also had music mm-hmm. uh, and the music uh, was, it was so profound how it, there was this feeling that the music was like something, one that I was like living in, but also like, uh, like, a, like a Sherpa guiding me through the experience yeah. and, and structuring and organizing the experience. And it would introduce something that would be really hard and challenging. Mm. And then it would like calm me back you out down. So a big part what of What kind of music was this? Like deep house? Or, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no. So uh, this is going to sound like mildly narcissistic, but whatever. I actually was supposed to do it in a group mm. and the other group members all bailed the day before. Damn. Um, and so you had to do up, everyone's dose. And I ended up actually having this like awesome individual experience. Yeah. And I was really sort of as a, as a music therapist, I was sort of dreading the, the like kind of like yoga studio playlist Mm-hmm. of like there was like literally a track on it um i don't want to i don't want to talk too much shit but it was by no do it do it do it they're not gonna listen to this podcast <laughs> mc yogi and it had chanting and uh-huh. and banjo and like mantras and it was just like uh if somebody had like made uh, was like i want to make the most appropriated thing <laughs> I, I want a bluegrass yoga studio rap song. Yeah. And so I was like actually in living in fear of listening to this music while in an altered state. Yeah. And I luckily didn't have to. And so the therapist was like, is there anything you want to listen to? And I had this moment where, uh, in it's grad- like it works. <laughs> so in grad school, I had actually made a oh, right. three and a half hour, yeah. album of music for psychedelic therapy. <laughs> You're like, well, actually, I do have this lying around. So, and I, I, I haven't listened to it since 2016. Yeah. It was like literally right, out, it was the summer after I finished grad school. Um, it's, uh, and I, I had not listened to it since. Yeah. And put it, I, I, I said, let's just do this. And she was like, okay, let's trust that. And there was this really profound sense of, I, me in the past, was mm. caring for me and guiding me in the present. Yeah. And that, like, me who had not been held hostage in a prison, right. like, had the resources and the ability to take care of me. Yeah. And, 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 and shepherd me through healing. And I, I, yeah, I just, I, there was this, it was just so intensely profound and filled me with such an amazing, like, uh, like I was just like brimming with purpose at the end of it. And it made me so much more passionate about the work I was about to start doing with people. Wow. There's two, I think, really fascinating elements there. One is with a lot of hypnosis therapy, there's the idea of your wise self or in my wizardry, my future self Mm -hmm. and connecting with the you that's already overcome these things. But I like that other idea of connecting with this past self and remembering that before you went through these experiences, you had these resources and they're still there. I think that's a really interesting inversion of that. And then the other is this idea of sort of remembering and forgetting 
it's not my own music because I'm not a musician, but I've made playlists that I created for doing uh, cannabis ceremonies. And then when I'll play it with a group, I'm like lost in a song. And I'm like, wait, where are we going next? Like, I forget what I put on this playlist. And then yeah. suddenly it's something I'm like, oh, right, yeah. So I can only imagine those little bits of like nostalgic remembrance of getting lost in the music that you created and had it listened to. And then suddenly you're like, Oh, right. This part. <laughs> my overall, rem- my overall experience though, was like, this is way more. Intense than I, thought. <laughs> I, remember, I thought this was like light of music. That was like an ocean of beautiful, like kind of washes of sound. And then I was like, this is like, there are parts where like the, like the, the demons really rise up. And yeah, uh, but I was so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful for that misremembering because I don't think I would have been brave enough to do it otherwise. Yeah. Well, and here's here's a, a, a like a theme that I'm going to introduce because I think we'll kind of weave around yeah. it. But there is a, a current cultural phenomenon which I call the Michael Polonization of psychedelics. And that is the idea that there's a correct way to do psychedelics and it's with a guide and it's for healing purposes and you're supposed to listen to like classical music or mc yogi or like this one kind of like peaceful vibe and that is the correct appropriate way and the other stuff is like misuse abuse not it and i'm not saying that michael Pollan himself even has this hardline view but i think it's kind of moved into this gatekeeper here is the right way to do it but i will say that ketamine and other psychedelics change the way that you hear music and i don't know if i would want to do ketamine therapy and listen to like a slipknot album but somebody else might i mean you could probably have a really good time listening to some you know ambient black metal and getting lost in it and there's definitely an experience of being on a dance floor on ketamine and having so many sounds and things that are like going off in every direction that it is kind of infinite and beautiful and is definitely a different vibe than just listening to Beethoven. Yeah, I think so. One of the first things I do with people um, ahead of a ketamine journey is once we've kind of figured out our intention is we do uh, a, we do like a two parter involving music. Okay. One is, what I call it's like developing resources. It's like, we need to put some money in our wallet so that like, when we get to the trauma tolls, we can pay them. (laughs) Um, And we do that through finding pieces of really important, significant music that, Mm. and you making art and, and doing kind of uh, close eye visuals and basically as close to altered states work as we can do um, using not talking and we use that to explore the 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 things people bring to this and then the last step before the actual journey is i have people basically go like here's a free associative playlist Mm. of all the music that connects with that intention and then what i do is i create this musical journey for them that involves a combination of live and composed music and playlists sort of musical programs. Mm -hmm. That is my response to what they have put together. Got it. And sometimes I'll pull things that people know, like I look at it as like, there's a kind of, without getting too in the weeds, there's three types of music for a, for a psychedelic journey. There's, 
preparatory music, music that gets you ready for Mm -hmm. some big wave of emotion. Yeah. There's working music and then there's integration music. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I look at it as like, I'm programming pulses of these things for people that are going to push and pull and hold, but it's all inspired by the person's own musical resources and Mm -hmm. the music that they've said connects. Like I'm not going to do a, all like MC Yogi's greatest hits for somebody yep. who has like put together a, an intentional playlist of music. That's all percussion, like all right. like African drumming. Yeah. Or like, I'm not going to do like uh you know, new American primitive guitar for somebody mm-hmm. who is like put together a, a, a playlist of all like ambient Japanese music. <laughs> hey, both of those sound pretty great. Um, but I think, I think there's another dimension here that I'm curious about your thoughts on because one of the things with like, you know, um, live DJ electronic music is that it's often pretty much all novel territory, you know, mm-hmm. like depends on the style you go. A lot of, you know, EDM is sort of like, we want to play the, the club hits, but if you're going to a more underground DJ, they're generally playing stuff that you've never heard before. And you're kind of getting lost in that journey. Whereas there's also a beautiful experience when you hear a song that you've heard a million times before, but suddenly in a totally different way. And I've had people afterwards be like, was that a remix? Like, it sounded so different. But suddenly, you know, having that moment when a Beatles song comes on and you're like, oh my God, yeah, I get this song in a whole new way now. And then it's even then a song that if it comes on when you're out of Denny's, you're going to be like, oh... I have a relationship with this song now. Like, yeah, good day, sunshine, indeed. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about um, one of the things that is a really important task for the therapist or the guide or whoever's putting together the music, whether it's you or... Yeah. Yeah, is finding that balance mm-hmm. because novel experiences are going to push. And, and uh, like, I had a client where it was like, I was like, we're trying to immediately break out of something here. Mm-hmm. So like the moment, the, 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 like basically once the onset started, like after yeah. somebody had switched and spit, yeah. um, uh, it was the overture from dancer in the dark, which mm. yeah. is like just this like deep grounding bass. And like, you can actually, what I didn't realize it until I really spent a lot of time with it. You can hear people breathing, mm. like the people who are playing it. So there's this, deep grounding connective experience there's breath there's aliveness in it and then it just goes to this enormous roiling peak of beauty and then lets you like settle back down and that's like that really was a piece he had never heard and it just shook him uh, out of the the script that he was on and that's when it began yeah um but I've also seen, like, after, you know, I'd say two-thirds of the way through a pretty intense journey, playing a song that somebody knew, and like, when they were a teenager and has listened to ever since, there, somebody had this profound experience of, like, I'm sitting on my bed as a teenager again listening to this music, and I'm looking at everything that's happened today and everything I have and realizing that everything he was, like, kind of longing for and feeling pain about is here. Yeah. And so, like that, like the novelty can like do that. This profound shaking loose, this profound push, and that familiarity is like can be this profound reward and space for reflection. Yeah, I think 
you know, music is interesting in that we hear songs over and over. And I always think you could make a super cut if you had mm-hmm. like omniscient God powers and be like, here's every moment of this person's life when they're listening to Hotel California. And sometimes yeah. they're doing it on purpose. And sometimes it's in a movie and sometimes it's in the background. They're not even aware, but like there is a quantifiable uh, number of times you listen to that piece of music. Yeah. And they're all connected in this weird way, which is, you know, similar to the idea we talk about with the podcast of, you know, Everyone that's listening to this is sharing in this conversation you and I are having in real time, but they're having in recorded time, and it's all uh, connected in kind of nonlinear ways. Yeah. Well, I think the idea of novelty also, uh, to go on like a slightly self-indulgent tangent. Yeah, hey, this is, is, I I have a podcast because I'm self-indulgent, so please be my guest. So I uh, had a client who introduced me a couple months ago to the band Caroline, and I've basically only listened to that. Mm. Like in my personal listening, I've pretty much only listened to Caroline. It's just Caroline? Like the yeah, name? Under, like lowercase okay. Caroline. The album is called Caroline. Okay. Um, it's really amazing British band, like kind of like, like based on like kind of like communist commune ideas, like eight, right. p- eight people standing in a circle. Yeah. Nobody's playing anything that's particularly difficult or, or individually important, but the sum of it is like really special. And there's cool. a, yeah. So I've been listening to it pretty much nonstop like that. And like, kind of just like a anonymous ambient music, like yeah. when I'm taking care of my son in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm like two, two and a half months into that. And I am still f- feeling novelty. Yeah. Because some days I'm listening to it and I'm like really in it. And some days it's just playing as I like drive to go get groceries mm-hmm. and each of those experiences is so unique and one of them will unlock another. So like, I don't know that I'll ever hear the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, Even though I've listened to it so many times and the, the experience that that can be the experience of listening to this music in an altered state. Like Mm -hmm. I look at it, like if I'm sitting down in my office and I'm laying on the floor with like a, a sketchbook and a set of oil pastels, like and I'm listening to dark blue for the millionth time, mm-hmm. I can have a profound experience because I'm getting into the altered state of creating and, yeah. and, and letting the music take me somewhere rather than just listening to it. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And it's um it's interesting. I've I've had a couple of, you know, my Spotify raps will be like, you listen to only this thing. Like my Spotify rap this year was all Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices because that was all I listened to for like seven months straight. And then you get through the other side and then all of a sudden the out, like you don't listen to the album quite as obsessively Mm -hmm. anymore. But then every once in a while you'll have one of these like, let's put this back on and that wave of nostalgia and remembering and knowing it so intimately and having it engraved in your brain is um, a beautiful experience. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to loop back though to something yeah. you said. So you talked about swish and spit, and so uh, I'm yeah. curious about how you administer ketamine because most of what I've seen um, in the media about uh, ketamine therapy is about infusions. People have an IV hooked up to them. Um, what is the method of dosing, and how much of a dose are people taking? Yeah. So the thing that separates the kind of work I do from going to like a, an infusion clinic mm-hmm. is People self-administer, um, and yeah. they do it with uh, sublingual tablets. Okay. So I work with a medical provider who I refer people to. The medical provider uh, 
basically does like a very extensive intake to like actually be like, is this a person who would benefit from this? Or is this like somebody yeah. who just like wants to freak out? Right. Um, and we can debate whether or not that's the right way to do things, but it's the yeah. only way to do things at the moment. You mean like, is it like when you say freak out, are you saying, is this somebody who is going to have a negative experience and it's no. not good for them? Or somebody who's like, uh, yeah, I need ketamine for my, uh, depression. Bro. Yeah. Like that, that, <laughs> the person who's like, yeah, I like, you know, just like want to like explore the insides of my mind. And they're like, well, is there a reason why you need to do that? I don't necessarily, I hope that that is not the way the world will work a couple yeah. of years from now, but that's the way that it works right now. Right. So the way it works is then they prescribe you a, a, a therapeutic dosage. So you're not hoping you got the right amount. You're not yeah. taking a white powder someone gave you that may or may not be ketamine. Yeah. Um, and what you get from the pharmacy are these tablets that you put under your tongue. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, this is a really, uh, some people hate this experience and some people are totally, uh, like I loved it. Yeah. Um, you swish it around in your mouth for 15 minutes. Wow. Okay. Um, and it, the ketamine tastes like if there was a candy that was battery acid flavored. <laughs> well, actually, I, I, I saw a thing in Wired magazine once where they were comparing the acidity of sour candy to battery acid, and there was a lot that were way more sour than battery acid. <laughs> yeah. So I actually really enjoyed it, and it it set me up for a nice experience. But so what you do is you swish it around and then you spit it out. Yeah. And the reason why is when you ingest ketamine orally. If you, when, uh, there's a funny and not great thing that happens when you swallow it and it goes into your stomach, it's Uh inevitable. You will swallow a little bit, but it is not, uh, advised because there's a bunch of different ketamine molecules. There's S-ketamine, there's R-ketamine, and then there's a thing called nor-ketamine. S-ketamine and and R-ketamine are therapeutically beneficial. Um, and they're like mirror images of each other. So, it's a whole thing. With, are, is that like when you're doing ketamine, are you doing both of those or can you get like one or the other? So yeah, you're, so if you buy it from like, uh, Eli Lilly or whatever company makes it, they've only been able to patent it cause they, they separate them and they give you just S ketamine. Okay. Um, and it's like almost like it's a, like a right hand, left hand and they're the exact same molecule. Um, just once flipped. Uh, but that's what you're getting when you take ketamine and it's legit. Um, but there's a thing called norketamine, which uh, the I haven't experienced this, but the best way it's been explained to me is it's like um, you drank three beers in the middle of the afternoon and then just didn't drink for the rest of the day. Mm. So you're just like kind of unpleasantly, slightly more than buzzed. Yeah. And you get that like headache and it's just not a pleasant experience. There's nothing psychedelic about it. Um and it lasts for like 12 hours. Oh, God. Yeah. Whereas the the actual ketamine experience is like about 90 minutes to two hours. So that's so you swish around your mouth and you spit. And when people do sessions with me, during that swishing period, I uh, that's when I play them either a composed piece of music that I've written specifically for them, or I will create a piece of music that is my, uh, it's my way of, helping them connect with the intention, but it's also my way of saying, I'm here with you. Yeah. You're not, you're not doing this alone. I have made something 
I have made something that you're the only person who's ever going to hear this piece of music and I give it to them afterwards and no and like that it will never be released it will never be shared it is just like an offering and a gift from me to to send you on this journey and beautiful th- so i try and make that swishing experience as good of an experience as yeah. possible and so after that people put on an eye shade and lay back okay and then it's just my whether if we're doing it remotely it's just my voice in their headphones with the music and if we're doing it in person it's just me sitting next to them right and then do they take more at any point during the experience or is that just, they ride that one dose out? So the, the first dose is a pretty hefty one, um, okay. but everyone gets prescribed a booster. So it's like, if you're like, I want to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. Cut me another line, bro. You can basically take another one and do another swish and then spit. And that'll, that'll bump it up, but also, and I'll bump up is funny. It'll yeah. push it deep. It'll make it deeper. And, uh, uh, bump up is an appropriate term. Yeah. And it'll, uh, it'll extend the experience. Cause one of the things that is interesting and like, it's kind of hard to explain, but doing ketamine recreationally, there's this kind of layering effect that people will talk about mm-hmm. where you do a little bit and you get sort of high, but not like, totally overwhelmingly cosmic but then if you're hanging out and you're doing more throughout the night you're you kind of have to increase the amount you're doing because the the tolerance builds up but then you also are having like more profound effects so if you're if you're doing it nasally the line that you're doing at one in the morning is sending you far deeper than the line that you did at 11 p.m and that kind of stacks so i was curious about the therapy especially you know are they ramping up or is it just kind of here's your one yeah so the dose you take at the very beginning is a pretty hefty one yeah um it's it's the night one of the nice things about doing it with a pharmacy and a doctor is you are basically getting the maximum dose that you can handle without Mm. without risking going into the hole yeah um so you don't need to keep bumping it up because it's the the intention of the experience is to Almost, it's uh, the only. It almost felt like when I did it, it was like somebody like drop. If a mushroom trip is an album, somebody dropped me in like track three. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I just wrote it out from there. So it was like there wasn't a lot of like rising up and watching it happen. It was like I was like swimming in water almost immediately yeah because it kicks in relatively fast um what what kind of like do you know what the dosage is for that i'm sure it, it varies but it's per it varies per person it has to do with weight and, yeah. exp- and they one of the nice things about working with a doctor who's open-minded about this stuff is they take into account your past psychedelic use Ah, okay. So it's, um, there's not like, I, one, I don't prescribe it. I don't, right. and, I, and I don't administer it. It's all yeah. people self-administer, but the, yeah, the, the doctors know, like, this is how much you can handle with, yeah. and this is, this is what you can take without risking having a, a, a bad experience. Yeah. So here's where I want to get into, um, yeah. relatively spicy territory, okay. but, um, when you research or, or, or see the reports about ketamine, there's a lot of talk about what the molecule is doing, the neuroplasticity, the way that it's affecting your brain mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but then there's also the conversation about the set and setting and the value of it being guided and so on and so forth. But 
some of the infusion clinics, it sounds like, you know, there's a nurse there to make sure yeah. your blood pressure doesn't spike, but there's not a therapist. So is it, or am I misunderstanding? No, like, no, no, like, no, that's exactly what it's like. And they're giving you, they're giving you a dose that would not really often, uh, so the two types of ketamine therapy that are much more common than the psychotherapy are infusion therapy and like the nasal spray. Yeah. And the nasal spray is like microdosing is what okay. most people describe it as. And the infusion is like often for a lot of people wouldn't even be helpful to have someone guiding you. Cause they're already so you're deep in their so own. Deep. You're, you're just you're, so you're, removed from you're kind of K holed out. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, and then there's also this whole industry of online ketamine therapy companies like mind bloom i get ads for that send you basically a ketamine kit and i don't know the whole experience but my understanding is basically maybe there's a playlist or something but they're basically like here do some ketamine on your own on a sunday afternoon and then we'll have like a therapist text you later to see if you're having a good time um, after the fact so i'm curious about your thoughts on that sort of lay of the land and then we'll talk about the recreational element it's hard. This is a really hard thing to do because um, there are more people who need help than there are people to help them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually right in the middle of uh, working with a bunch of other creative arts therapists in New York State to lobby the lobby Albany because they removed us from a mental health accessibility bill. Like, so there's more people that need help then there are people to help them. And the barriers to getting help are often so onerous that people can't. Um, And I would be remiss to be like, I'm the cheap, affordable option that I'm trying to make this accessible to everyone because like I have a mortgage to pay. (laughs) um, But what you've seen is the like kind of Silicon Valleyification of Mm -hmm. mental health. And whether it's Mind Bloom or BetterHelp or Talkspace. Or what's that one company that's trying to just like pathways or whatever that's just trying to fucking like patent every <laughs> every psychedelic that's been around for 50 years or thousands of years. They're like, yeah, we 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 call dibs. Yeah. Compass, that's the one. All of these companies are it's hard because not none of the individual I don't know about the individual people. A lot of the people who work at these companies are probably very good people with really good intentions. I as like somebody who's worked in the corporate world, I like always tried to do my best. And then you'd be like, ah, we once again harmed the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the act of opening the doors so wide often waters down the experience so much that it's not valuable. Yeah. Um, I just like for, to understand it better, tried Talkspace. I literally sent somebody a, a message about like, some real struggles I was having and she didn't respond for two weeks. Wow. And then when she did, it it was like, I just could have Googled the, like a thought distortion. Yeah. Um, some people will be helped by a company like mind bloom. Yeah. People who are really motivated and coming to it for the right reasons and have experience with psychedelics and are, you kind of know what they're doing and knowing what they're hoping to get out of it. Yeah. I think that those people can probably get some benefit out of it. And I don't want to say that like blanket, it's terrible. And I also don't want to say that like an infusion clinic where you're going to pay like an insane amount of money to have an IV drip and no one pay attention to you is a bad idea. Um, if, if it helps, but most people I, I don't think are served by those experiences because 
all the nuance gets stripped away in service of making it available and and affordable or making it so medicalized that an insurance company will pay for it. Yeah. Uh, And I exist in this funny place in between and therapists like me, it is not as accessible as mind bloom and it's not as medical as an infusion clinic, Mm -hmm. but the individual attention and then is what for the people I work with makes the experience. Yeah. The having someone who can say, I'm going to stay up here with your body rather than feeling anxious and disappointed for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, or somebody to be like, you are floating around in an orb of red light with all these tunnels coming off of it. Like, what do you notice? Where's which tunnel is pulling you? Yeah. And then somebody writing that down. Like when we were listening to candy shop by emeralds, they were flying through a tube of light (laughs) and that tube of light, like landed them in their teenage bedroom. Like, and then the next day can sit down with them and say like, let's listen to that music and talk about what that experience was like. Cause it seemed pretty profound. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're dead on with this because I think the metric that we're evaluating by is therapeutic versus recreational and legitimate. Mean I got it from an app or I got it from an infusion clinic or I got it from a dispensary therapist, whatever versus I got it from a dealer. I got it yeah. on a party, so on and so forth. But I think those are the wrong categories because I think what we're actually trying to talk about is safety yeah is this a safe environment was there someone making sure that you weren't going to get up and like fall and wang Mm -hmm. your head on something um intentionality were you going into this with a clear intention and was the environment structured to support that intention yeah and i think having fun can be an intention and i think that's a legitimate and valid one. And so I think that's where I have so many issues with the Silicon Valleyization of this process is that a fucking startup company that is trying to cut costs on tech support by having chat bots respond to you and is sending you ketamine in the mail. And I mean, like I read a Vice article about how bad some of the customer support and the issues and all of the things were with these companies because we have this venture capital idea of throw money at something and it's okay to make a lot of mistakes because we're going to figure it out as we go, which is a fucked up attitude when you're trying to care for people. Yeah. Like, we don't have beginner therapists, uh, myself excluded, uh, just be like, learn as you go and like figure it out and like, you know, move fast and break stuff. That's not how we treat humans. And so I would put those experiences in the same bad category that I would put, you know, someone giving you way too much ketamine your first time yes. at a weird party where there's no one there to pay attention to you or your friend is freaking out because they're on mushrooms and ketamine. And now you're having your first ketamine experience and you're trying to take care of your friend. And like all of those stressors I think are legitimate and should be dealt with. But I think we lose so much when we assume that everything has to be from some authority that is because the other authority said so like we rubber stamped it and we take away our autonomy to have human experiences with each other and I hear it flip-flop back and forth that it's the therapy or it's the drug. And if it's the drug, then the effect of doing ketamine 
on a Friday night at a dance party is still causing neuroplasticity in yes. your brain. <laughs> like you don't get to get rid of that because you don't like the fact that they were doing it at a techno party. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I look, if you're going to an infusion clinic, yeah, it's it, the experience is not that different from if you were going to a techno party, except that a nurse <laughs> administers it and, and, and then you have to lay in a bed, but the, yeah. your, your level of, your level of shepherd, somebody shepherding you through the experience or your level of somebody or whether it's you or a professional yeah. helping you mindfully craft an intention and, and, and hold close to that intention is yeah, it's lost. Yeah. Um, but I just uh, had a client um, uh, who's a 70 year old woman and has been having anxiety, depression, and, you know, was seeing a hypnotherapist, me, to get help with that, and then was also going to try ketamine. And I was very curious to see, this is not somebody who has, like, probably even smoked weed in their life. Like, And they described the first two sessions as being nice, and then the dosage went up, and then the later sessions, they did not like it, and they don't want to do it again, yeah. because their blood pressure went up, and then suddenly everyone was, like, in medical mode around them, which was stressful, and there was no one whose job was to be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is cool. Let's listen to some calming music. Let's try and get your blood pressure down instead of having a bunch of doctors fussing over you like it's the ER. Yeah. I so I I think there's a part that like gets lost a little bit in this in this conversation of these ketamine's not been around for thousands of years cuz it's a man-made <laughs> chemical, but whatever. Um, yeah. but like psychedelic substances that have been used for healing for, you know, as long as there've been pretty much human beings walking around eating mushrooms off the ground. Um, there was always a, a container. There was always, whether it was like uh, a shaman eating an amanuda muscaria and then yeah. like peeing into a cup <laughs> for you to drink or yeah. um, everyone in the, everyone in the ceremony taking ayahuasca together or actually not everyone in the ceremony taking ayahuasca together. Cause the shaman takes it. And then he's like, I solved your problem for you while I was tripping balls. Like um, my guest, Adam Aronovich, who was on the healing from healing episode. We talked about that of as Westerners were like, I want to be in the driver's seat. I want the experience. Traditional shamans were like, okay, thank you for watching me puke and shit for 36 hours. I've killed the ghost of your uncle that was affecting your daughter. Her skin condition should go away now. You're welcome. Yeah. And you're like, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. I think, yeah, whatever the particulars are, what we're talking about is a structure where you're, yeah, where there's someone holding the experience. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, I far be it from me and also be, I'd be a total hypocrite if I said that, like, people should never do these things on their own for fun. Because, like, I've done, I've had you know, profound experiences taking way too much psilocybin and yeah. like spending an entire hallucinatory night walking through the woods, talking to my friends, floating heads in a sea of paisley and yeah. like, <laughs> like feeling like if I crawl, if I like walk across the stream, I will like pull back the veil of consciousness. And I, and like, I don't want to do that. Cause like, I want to be able to like go home tomorrow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So, and like, I have healed profoundly from those experiences, but what I'm, what we're talking about is just a very different thing and yeah. the intentionality of it and the, and, and the holding of it is 
a very old and, and, and tried and true idea that we shouldn't pretend like we invented. Right. But is there's a reason why these structures have existed for a very long time. With the medicalized version of these things, it's sort of the idea of you're doing this treatment. You're depressed. We need to fix your depression. Yeah. You're going to do ketamine therapy. And I'm not familiar in the community. Is there the idea that continuing to do ketamine therapy is a good idea? That, like, come back once a year and have a little journey, and that's that's good for you? Or is it supposed to be uh, you've solved the problem, no more ketamine? No. Um, I, I, one, I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, yeah. I think, like... I have uh, I had multiple clients at this point who are uh, working through some like pretty profound loss and grief, mm-hmm. and like just like did back to back sessions two weeks apart, and that was what they needed. Yeah. Um, and then there are for people with like really serious treatment resistant depression, like who other like actual traditional medical interventions have failed. Like, this is not a one-shot thing. Like, yeah. often the protocol, um, and I have not done this, so this is there's other therapists who are much more experienced with this way of doing it, are uh, you would do six sessions in quick mm-hmm. succession. Yeah. Um, and that will extend your window of, of uh, symptom remission for a very long time. Um, and then you do it again when you need it. Right. More more common the experience I have is somebody does it and then they're like, they metabolize the experience and then go like, hey, let's do that again three months later. Yeah. Or uh, let's do that once a year. Let's do that in six months. Or let's stack a couple of these and then see what happens, like where I'm at. So there's not a one size fits all solution, but often it, people who have like the kinds of really intense presenting issues that they come to for like ketamine as like a last resort, like they will do it frequently. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as, as a ketamine therapist, is there, is part of your training or part of the process for you to kind of continue to do it on a semi-regular basis to just maintain that awareness of the experience and be conversant with, with it? So it is not a requirement, which I think is a little crazy, but, um, I, I, so I have, I've done one session. I have another one that I'm working towards. Um, and then I personally plan on doing it like in the once or twice a year range because it just, that was what helped me. And like, I'm at the point now where I'm like, I can feel like some of the effects have really worn off to the point where like, I would really like them back and that's not like in a like i'm fiending for it it's in a like i am very i i I sometimes find myself in like a real intense state of overwhelm and uh and it feels so different from the clarity i had for the months after my last experience yeah well and i think there's a sort of unconscious framing that we have where there's the idea that people are broken Mm-hmm. If you have depression, if you have anxiety, if you have one of these things, which often you know can feel like being broken, you're trying to do normal things and it's not working, but then this is a fix and then you're repaired and then go off and be functional again, which ignores the human experience of our moods and desires are constantly in flux. Yeah. I don't eat once and then I'm like, no more food forever. It's like yeah. I eat regularly. I don't party once and I'm like, well, that was my fun for the year. But I'm like, oh, I've had a stressful week. I want to go out. I want to see friends. I want to blow off some steam. And then I think it becomes about 
moderation and understanding. You know, ecstasy yeah. or MDMA is also used therapeutically and can create those feelings of love and work well with PTSD. I think it can also be great for people to go out and just have a fun Molly experience with their friends and feel love and connection to their sense of community. But then the danger that I see is when the um, tool becomes equated directly with the solution. I see this happen with Adderall where people are like, "Ah, I need to do something, therefore I need Adderall. Or I want to have fun, therefore I need Mm -hmm. ecstasy. Or I am feeling sad, therefore I should do more ketamine. This is my therapy, snort, snort, snort. And that becomes the issue rather than understanding the balance and flow of, you know, our goal is to have a diverse set of human experiences in our lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. I think what we're, what we're talking about a little bit is like kind of the core, one of the core operating principles of any kind of therapy is like, I tell all my clients, like we're never going to get rid of this. What we're going to do is we're going to make it, we're going to decrease the frequency and decrease Mm -hmm. the intensity and give the awareness so that it's not so scary. Yeah. Because we can't take away these experiences. A, a therapist who I'm friends with actually like, to- I, I'd always been talking about trauma as a wound and how our goal of therapy is like, we have to reopen the wound and we have to clean it out and stitch it back up. And she had this beautiful twist on it that has like sat with me since where she talked about she had cut her finger really badly and had damaged it. And so now she has to hold cups in a different way. Mm. She doesn't spill, she doesn't spill drinks all the time. She doesn't drop cups all the time, but if she doesn't put her pinky under the bottom of it, she might. And that to me was like this, such a beautiful way to look at healing. Yeah. Like she has learned how to rehold the cup, but she has this reminder of like, I got hurt at one point and I need to be more careful and I need to be more mindful and I'll never forget that this happened, but I don't suffer from it anymore. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, I talk with clients about optionality of, you know, if you think of this mood, it's like you have a playlist with one song on it. So it's just playing the same song on loop and that sucks. And we want to add more songs to your playlist. Yeah. So there's other options. And that doesn't mean that anxiety song is never going to come up again. But when it comes up, you're aware, and you're like, oh, it's the anxiety song. Okay, I know how this goes. And from here, I can think about, let's go on the take a walk by myself and settle down song and like have some tools rather than the uh, let's think about how much I fucking suck until I yeah. <laughs> somehow fix the problem by focusing on it. That's such a beautiful, I love that. We're going to add more songs to the playlist. That's so yeah. good. What a gift yeah. you just gave me. <laughs> metaphors, baby, metaphors. Um, what, you know, being like doing this work currently, where do you see things heading? Do you see this evolving, changing? How have you, um, I'm, I guess, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to ask you to like prognosticate on like, are we going to legalize ketamine therapy and have nasal dispensers and, you know, waiting rooms? But uh, how is your evolution with this changing and how do you see yourself working with it in the therapeutic work that you do, especially with uh, being a sound therapist as well? I, my own personal journey actually reflects the the thing you're talking about. Uh, when I was in grad school, I was, oh, I was dreaming about participating in psychedelic therapy. I'm trained in a method that actually came out of 
LSD psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And then the person who had developed this method called guided imagery and music, the Bonnie method, yeah. um, she had to develop a way of doing it once LSD was illegal. Mm. So like I, my roots are in altered states work. Yeah. And I assumed that like, I was not going to ever be able to do this work until I like went and got a, like a, a PhD or a PsyD. And then may only maybe I could participate in this work since I was never going to be a medical doctor. And then I watched it go like, okay, so some states are legalizing this, and but they're making it very uh, specific who can do it. Yeah. And then what you start to see is people start relating to it in really different ways. Mm. Um, now, any licensed therapist in, in most states that uh, can, can do this work uh, because... You're not, uh, one, it's understood is not very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and the, despite what we hear a lot about ketamine, uh, the potential for abuse is actually pretty low if it's done in a safe way. The potential for abuse is actually very low if somebody is taking irregular, you know, taking the kinds of doses we're talking about and they're taking it with the kind of frequency we're talking about and the kind yeah. of settings we're talking about. Um, yeah. I think the caveat I'd add is that um, it's, it's a very divisive one because some people are like, that was great. I feel awesome about that experience. I'll do it occasionally. And then other people are like, that was great. I'm going to chase that high intensely. Yeah. And because your tolerance goes up, you can then end up doing absurd amounts of ketamine, which uh, has a lot of really negative effects. So, yes. I think what you're talking about is true. Um, yeah, I think we're going. We're potentially going down a rabbit hole here. That I don't. I don't know that we have. We either of us has the ability to. The potential for abuse is lower than other things. It's not addictive like an opiate, but you know, yeah. even LSD also has that. And then there's wooks out there that are like, "I'm just going to eat fucking ten tabs every day." Yes, and yeah, like people go overboard with anything. Cannabis has the. It, it's. Any, any substance that alters your, your consciousness has that potential. Suffice it to say, when the right controls are in place, the potential for abuse and the potential for somebody having a medically problematic experience are very mm-hmm. low. Yes. Um, and it's been opened up in a psychotherapeutic context to any licensed psychotherapist. And then you look at a place like Oregon, where they've legalized psilocybin therapy mm-hmm. and from what I understand, anyone with a certain amount of training, whether they're a licensed therapist or not, can provide the, these therapies. So what we're seeing is a, is the cat's sort of out of the bag, and now everyone's just rushing to figure out how to keep the cat safe. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like half out of the bag. It's like yeah. a very awkward situation for the cat. <laughs> yeah. So... I think we're we're trending in a direction of increased access, increased availability, and increased understanding of what is safe and what is not. Yeah, like MDMA as it's as a, a psychotherapeutic tool is like we're gonna in we're years. Not e- I don't even know for five years. So I think we're we're a small number of years away from that being commonplace. And the reason why is it because it works. Like and 
the sad thing is that like it took a bunch of soldiers getting blown up to yeah. for the government to be like, oh shit, nothing else is working except for this one thing that we've said is illegal. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly it's not so bad anymore. But suffice it to say, we're trending in the direction of these therapies being more available and more accessible and more understood in a way that's going to make them more effective and more helpful for a lot more people. Yeah. I'm hopeful too, that we can start to understand that there's a whole variety of experiences and those ideas that we talked about earlier of like safety and intentionality being the common thread and what we're, we're moving towards that, you know, whether you're going to do it in an office and listen to some light jazz, or you're going to do it at a festival, there's the idea of like, clean supply and supervision from people who are not fucked up and um, all of those things going into it. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's wrap things up with a little spell. And I know you're not allowed to say, uh, go, go do some ketamine. And (laughs) that's part of the spell. Um, But for somebody who is curious in this, and we're not going to say like, go just find a ketamine licensed therapist in your area. Um, what do you think is some little spell that they can do to bring this magic into their reality? Yeah, I think that, look, the drugs are a shortcut to some yeah. to experiences that are accessible in the everyday. Yeah. Um, so that's not to say that the, the, the drugs aren't helpful mm-hmm. uh, or powerful, but I think the spell people can do, and it, we've already talked a little bit about it, but if you can today sit down with a pen and paper and go, where am I right now? And take a few breaths and see what you notice in your body, see what you notice in your mind, see what you notice around you and find a piece of music that connects mm. with that. Not that doesn't, not like, oh, I'm going to listen to the happy piece of music that's going to take me out of this feeling that I found that I didn't like so yeah. much, but like find a piece of music that really would take you deeper into that Mm-hmm. And then put that piece of music on and sit and almost like let the music take you and transcribe the conversation, whether that means writing down the words or drawing a picture or just letting pen or, or marker or whatever flow over paper in a way that like is a map of the journey you're going on. But that act, that really simple act of, of saying, where am I? What's a piece of music that would take me deeper into it? Mm -hmm. Giving yourself over to the music and then creating some map of the experience is profoundly psychedelic if you actually do it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the spell. I love it. I think with... um cannabis being semi-legal at this point that was the magic that i saw in doing the mystic tokes uh cannabis ceremonies is this is a drug that people are used to smoking weed and watching rick and morty smoking weed at a party smoking weed and doing something all the time and just that act of what you get in a therapeutic setting of saying do this with intentionality Mm -hmm. and do this with a little bit of music and then just the journey inward just close your eyes and see where your thoughts lead you without following along with a television show or a social dynamic or any of those other distractions. Yeah. It's a beautiful experience to do. And like we talked about in the beginning with noticing, it's just a thing where we don't do that often. Well, let's start today. Let's start today. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Devin. For more of Josh's work, visit 
nycreativetherapy.com. Uh, Josh is an incredible therapist and musician. He does amazing work with sound design and leads very interesting feedback-based sound experiences where what you are telling him influences the sounds that he's making and that influences what you're experiencing and uh, is just a very, very cool, interesting, creative psychedelic rebel i'll go ahead and say and uh, i'm just so appreciative of him giving us his time and wisdom today uh for more about ketamine check out patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where i'm going to do a bonus episode all about ketamine and that will be a fun little magical experiment so check that out at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where your donation helps keep this virtual magic alive. I don't have much more to say other than please heed the warning I gave at the beginning. Don't do stupid things because you think it's going to make you more magical. The most magical thing you can do is think about set, setting, and intention and explore responsibly and safely. Make good choices. I believe in you. Your magic is real. (laughs) 